Amen. Church, as I think of that, I love that song. Because I think of just the reflection on the fact of what Christ has done for us, going through the, the right order to see first Calvary and what he's done and accomplished in his death and his wounds and his cursing on our behalf. And then the fact that he did not stay there, but he was put into a grave even further, just closing it over him, saying he's done, he's gone, he's finished. And then the third day coming. The son of heaven, the very purpose he came was accomplished and death itself was defeated. That you and I could exclaim, where is your sting, death? Where's your sting? Where's fear of you anymore? It's gone. Because, because my Savior rose victorious. And the angels, I think of the celebration, often we miss it. I think of Stephen looking into heaven and seeing the angels around him even and focusing on Jesus. I just keep thinking of Revelation chapter 5 where all of heaven is focused. Who's worthy? Who is worthy to take this scroll? And they look and he says, look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he turns and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb that was slain, killed. That's the one who's worthy. Church, that's the same path. That's the same example that you and I are asked to live in, to walk in. That's how we conquer. That's how we defeat. That's how we overcome. It's through sacrifice. And then the focus of our hearts is the fact that he will return. He will return. There's a day when he will return when all of this, all of the fears, all of the pains, all of the struggles that we have been facing and are facing and will face, all of them will be gone forever. And we will be transfixed, focused fully on Jesus forever. Church, that is glorious. So let's ask God to think about that today because as we look at this passage, that's got to be our focus. So pray with me. Father, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come and accomplish a work on our behalf that is so wonderful, it is so marvelous, it is so glorious. Lord, help us to think of that right now. Lord, I thank you for just this opportunity to gather as your people. I pray our hearts would right now start to turn in focus to you. Lord, I know my heart is often fixed on other things, difficulties, different relational challenges, Lord, just my own weaknesses and struggles. Lord, I know that this isn't supposed to just get rid of these, but they're to fix our eyes on you. So Lord, help us to do that by your spirit. Fix our eyes on you, we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. As we've been talking in Romans 12, we've been looking at this idea of the difference between conforming to the world and being transformed by the spirit. And we've really been seeing this extent of genuine love for the past couple of weeks. And all of this is centering on the mind. So I want to remind us again that it is the thoughts of our hearts and where our mind thinks that evidences whether or not we are going to be transformed by the Spirit. If the focus of our life is on the mercy and grace of God that's been shown to you, your life will be transformed. You will know God's will. And I want us to think of the outflow of that. We looked at in Romans 12 this idea of not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We then were challenged by the fact that we are part of the body of Christ, that each one is gifted and therefore we're to use it for the edification of God's people, the church. 
And then we heard the challenge in verse 9 about love being genuine and the outflow of that, characteristics of it, are to abhor what is evil, to hold fast what is good, to love with brotherly affection, outdo in showing honor, not to be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. And then we looked at last week, contributing to the needs of the saints and seeking to show hospitality, having a genuine love and care for perfect strangers, people that you don't even know. And then I think of all of these sermons are really truly testing us to see if what we know and think about is the love of God, if we truly live in view of God's mercy. And let me say the passage today is very challenging. It is very challenging because it's looking at really, if you believe you're moving towards genuine love, what is the furthest extent of this love that you're willing to show? How far are you really willing to evidence genuine love towards people? And as I've been studying it, I look at this and I go, that's too much. That's just too hard, Lord. Why did you put this in your word? The question we really need to struggle with is, what are you and I going to do when someone does something wrong to me? When someone sins against you? on purpose, and not just once, they want to do it again and again. They're looking out for you to do you harm. What do you do? How do you respond? And again, as I said, I've been humbled this week to really see how far I am from my understanding of how God naturally responds to evil in the world, to his heart towards people that are opposed to him. How does he respond to these things? And we're going to read that in these two verses. And so Romans 12, verses 14 and 15, it says this. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Very straightforward. Very simple. Implications are radically difficult for us. Let's look at this. It says, Bless those who persecute you. To persecute is to pursue someone. Last week, Bjorn mentioned that seek to show hospitality is the same word as persecute. So there's a pursuing of strangers for good that Christians are to do, and then there's a pursuing towards harm that unbelievers do towards Christians. And so there's a seeking, a pursuit. And this is the idea of they're bent on doing you harm because of your beliefs, because of your commitment to Christ. And so again, this is someone that is most likely an unbeliever and because you follow Christ. And let's say persecution has various levels, right? We would admit that perhaps in America, the amount of persecution that we face, it's not that it's not there, but it's to the different degree, different level perhaps than others are facing around the world. I think all of us would admit, yes, that is true. But some of us are being currently persecuted because of our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It might be at a workplace. It might be within family. It might be because you keep constantly talking about the Lord Jesus that people, will you just stop it? And there's not acceptance. There's actually repulsion. Get away from me. I don't want you near me. And then perhaps some of you are seeing that these same people are now aimed at maybe hurting your character, speaking negatively against you, or seeing that they're purposefully against you for your harm. But let's be honest, many of us simply like me, I think I just struggle with people who inconvenience me. I struggle with people who just annoy me. I don't even, I'm not even kind to those type of people, let alone the people who are bent on my harm. Someone cuts me off in the road, I'm, 
that's just an inconvenience. That's not persecution. But I respond in such a negative way, just a careless way. And even if they do it, let's say on purpose, that's still not persecution. They don't know who I am. They're just, they just do that anyway. And there's that aspect too. And maybe some of us would say, oh, that person is purposefully being a jerk to me. But again, if it's not tied to belief in Jesus Christ, it's not necessarily persecution to the degree that we're seeing in Scripture. I think of my own kids when uh, they're persecuting each other, right? Mom, my brother's being so annoying to me. And they say annoying in a very annoying way. Annoying to me. And you're hearing this and you're going, really? Your brother is annoying you? Really, you're going to respond in such a negative way to him being annoying to you? But let's, let's widen this truth, because again, the reality of the differences of what we are experiencing. Let me ask this, and think of this. Who is it that you would say regularly, or even persistently, is causing frustration and or harm to you? Whether emotionally, physically, maybe financially. Who do you wish would simply leave you alone and go away? If I could put it plainly. Who do you wish would just leave you alone and go away, be removed from your life forever? Now, in light of that, let's look at these two responses. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. To bless someone is to ask God for his favor to be on that person. For his goodness and his kindness to come to them. That's blessing that person. So you're asking God on behalf of this person to do good to them, to show kindness to them. Cursing them is asking God to hurt them, to bring misfortune on them, and even to see them suffer. And I think, Paul, why did you just randomly throw this in there? Like it's just, he throws it, bless those who persecute you, and bless and do not curse. Now later on, in two weeks, we'll look at Romans 12, talks a little bit more about this. But this is not Paul making this up. This is straight from the teachings of the Lord Jesus. You have the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount. He says very similar things in both of those messages. Luke 6.28 says this. This is Jesus saying, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Right there, Jesus gives you, this is love. This is genuine love. It's not simply shown to people who are kind to you, who love you. In fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus rebukes that kind of love. In Matthew 5, he says, you heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? He says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Look at what God does. He says, for, for God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. And then he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you simply love the people who love you, what, what gain is that to you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? People that you hate, they do that. If you greet only your brothers, if you're kind only to God's people, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This struck me. Because he's saying, listen, if you love people who love you, you've literally just conformed to the world. Congratulations. 
you've just done what everybody else does. You, you don't, you, you've done nothing different. Conformity to the world, that's your status right there. But Romans 12 says we can't conform to the world. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And he says that's exactly what is happening here. Now let me remind you, it is not be transformed by the renewal of your actions. It's the renewal of your mind. It's not simply, how did I respond to the evils that humans brought about in my life? Think of it like this. I use the example again of people cutting me off. Apparently this happens more to me than other people. I don't know why. Maybe I drive slow and then they see an opportunity to come in. I don't know what it is. I don't drive slow. But anyways, someone cuts me off and I honk at them. Just a friendly reminder that I was there. I know you didn't see me. I'm trying. Thank you. And what do they do? Let's say they give me the finger. Now, kids, ask your parents which finger I'm talking about. Go ahead, ask them. Ask them also if they've ever used that finger in an inappropriate way. Go ahead and ask them that. But God gave us good fingers, but we can use them for evil, okay? So be wise with your fingers. So anyways, my blood is boiling. My blood is, oh, are you kidding me? My blood is boiling. Or what am I going to do in that situation? Let's say that it's not boiling. Let's say I've composed myself. This happens often enough. But I've composed myself, and I just, not going to do anything. Not going to do anything. I'm fine. Let me ask you this. If I don't act out, have I fulfilled this command? Even if I don't get angry, have I fulfilled this command? No. I haven't. I actually haven't fulfilled the command yet. Even if I'm just passive, if I just drive, and I just, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to acknowledge it. Nope. Just holding the steering wheel. Just, no, I'm fine. Charles Hodge, a Princeton theologian, he says this. He says, listen, it is not sufficient to avoid returning evil for evil. Not even to banish vindictive feelings. Even those feelings that you're like, oh, I wish I could get them back. Not even to get rid of those. He says, we must be able sincerely to desire their happiness. How hard this is for corrupt human nature, as everyone who is acquainted with his own heart well knows it. I have to desire their joy and their happiness and their satisfaction. I have to seek good for that person. It's not sufficient for me just to be passive. I actually have to bless that person. It's not don't do anything, don't curse them. It's bless them first. Bless, do not curse. Church, that's too hard. That's too hard. I think of this. Jesus, again, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Oh, trust me, I'll be praying for those who abuse me. Oh, I'll be praying something. But prayer is the expression to God of everything that you long for, what you want. So think of it like this. He says, when you pray, you cannot ask me to curse them. God is saying to you, do not ask me to bring misfortune on them. Do not ask me to have their tires blow out. Do not ask me to ruin their plans and to frustrate them over and over again. Do not ask me at all to call down fire from heaven to consume them and to totally destroy them. Think of what's happened in our world. Do not ask me, God is saying to have the police or military shoot every person who was rioting in our cities. Don't ask me to do that. 
In fact, don't even ask me to remove the governor from office or that she herself would get the coronavirus or any other evil thing that you've thought against her. Don't ask me to do that. Instead, he says, will you please ask me to bless them? Will you ask me to be patient with them? Will you ask me to show my kindness to them and my grace to them? Will you ask me to give them the Holy Spirit and for them to repent and be saved? Is that your desire? Ask me to love them with the love that I have shown you. Will you please ask me to do that for your enemies? For the people who are mistreating you? Again, church, I read this and I go, that's too hard for me. I don't desire that. And so God reminded me this week, I am so far from this mindset. I'm so far from your mindset. And this is what God has revealed to me first. He said this, he goes, Charles, why are you asking me to do something to them that I chose not to do to you? Why are you asking me to bring immediate justice on them when I did not bring immediate justice to you? I didn't curse you. I put my curse on my son, Jesus Christ. I am patient with you in your constant rebellions and failures and sins. I have gotten rid of all of those, in fact. And I count none of them to you. I've showed you my grace, my love, my mercy, my goodness, my faithfulness over and over again. And yet this is what God rebuked me with. He says, yet your heart doesn't swell with a desire for people to understand that as well. Your heart doesn't swell with joy and love for other people in your life. He says, Charles, you remain arrogantly hateful towards people who are just like you, in just as much need of me as you are. If you don't love them, Charles, and you don't want them to be blessed by me, then you are hating them. And as John writes in 1 John, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer in his heart. Why do you think in your heart, oh man, I hope they get what's coming to them. Oh man, Lord, bring it swiftly. I want to see these people pay. God, I wish that these people would just leave me alone. God, when are you going to remove these people? Just take them out of my life. And in fact, just take them out altogether. Could you imagine a Christian? A Christian thinking these things. I'm like, God, that's exactly what I do. And God reminds all of us, repent of that. Turn away from that. That is wrong. That is conformity to the world. Look like Jesus. And I think, again, we sing a song, but it's also based right off of Romans 2, that God reminds us it's not his wrath that leads us to repentance. It's not his wrath. What is it? It is his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 2, Paul, prior to this passage, says, Listen, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another person, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, so quickly, the judge, you practice the very same things that that person does. Have I ever cut someone off? Absolutely I have. Absolutely. Have I ever been mean and frustrating and annoying to someone else? Yes, I have. He says, do you then suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you yourself will escape the judgment of God? Do you think that you deserve to just dismiss and be removed from the very judgment that you're willing to give on another person so quickly? And then he says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you just presume that it's going to be there, not knowing that this is what God does? God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. 
And then he reminds us, listen, if you keep doing this because of your hard and impenitent heart, not repenting of this, he says, you yourself are storing up wrath on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Church, let me remind us, we're going to look at this soon, but God's wrath is going to come on people. The very thing that we desire, full justice, God's righteousness coming and wiping out evil, guess what that's going to happen? But it's going to happen when he deems it necessary, not when I deem it necessary. In fact, my whole focus now should be on the salvation of these people. My desire should be that they see the glory of God and repent of their sins and come to him. That needs to be my focus. So God again is saying, ask me to bless them. We heard of Stephen's testimony. Think of Jesus on the cross as well. Stephen and Jesus are linked very similarly in their responses. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this to their account. Think of that. Think of that. Both of those requests, both of Jesus and of Stephen, actually happened that people were saved because of that. So think of Jesus asking, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. On Pentecost, thousands of people, Jews, the same people who were there. Peter says, you crucified him. And they repent. They're cut to their heart. And they respond in faith and they're saved. So Jesus' prayer to not hold it to their account is, Lord, would you please remove this sin from them and grant them salvation? And it was answered. And then later on, it was also added thousands more to the same group of people. Stephen. Think of Stephen. Father, do not hold this against them. Who is there? We mention it. Saul. Saul, by God's grace, is the same man who is there saying, yes, he deserves to die. And Stephen prays for that group of people, and God chose to save Saul. Saul was saved and transformed to the greatest missionary in the world. Look, think of that. Did Stephen have any idea who he was praying for during that prayer? No. But God answered it and says, bless these people, Lord. Bless it. Pour out your favor on these people. Let them see you. Church, that's not my response. It needs to be. And I think this isn't just in the people who are against us. I think of a husband or wife who's mad because of the pain that their spouse caused them. They can no longer ask God or desire for that person to get what they deserve before they're forgiven. Lord, make them feel the weight of what they did to me. That is not a request of a Christian. That is not the request of a Christian. Instead, what you ask is you say, God, renew that person to understand your forgiveness and let me evidence that for them and love them and treat them in the way that you would treat them. I think of kids who hate their parents because maybe of childhood pain, frustration, anger, or even anxieties that were caused by living in a certain household. Instead, I think, God, you're asking us to honor them still in speech in actions. You want them to find forgiveness and mercy, and that that parent would actually see what God's family is like, even though they ruin their own family, that they would see what God's family looks like. It's different. And this also affects parents. I think of how I raise my kids to respond to evil done to them. We talk about bullying in schools, and people are going to pick on them, and the kids are going to look to us and say, what do I do? What do I, how do I respond in this way? And trust me, my blood boils as a father of watching this and going, oh, I'll tell you exactly what you're going to do. I know exactly what you're going to do, trust me, and I'll help you do it. That is not my first priority at all. My priority is to show them to say, hey, listen, you continue doing good to that person. 
you bless that person. Now listen to me, I'm not saying that you cannot utilize governing authorities that are here. If you are being abused and hurt and neglected and bullied, you do it through the proper way, but you don't do it with an attitude of vindication and wrath. You do it because you desire goodness to come to that person and you walk through it with the families. You help them. And I think that's exactly what we do because our first response is always to seek good and to bless people. And this goes right into the next verses because this is also shown to anyone and to everyone. I think of this idea next of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Again, this is this idea of entering into their world. This is a reminder that Jesus did this. He didn't stay up in heaven. He came down as a man and lived among people. He saw weaknesses. He saw sorrow. But he also saw joys. He saw the good things as well as the bad. He entered into the world of us. And so now he's a sympathetic and caring high priest who helps us. And I think of the admonition in 1 Corinthians 12, also among us as God's people. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, there should be no division in the body. Listen to this. But that its parts, the body of Christ, should have equal concern for each other. Equal concern for each other. He says if one part suffers, how many parts suffer with it? It says every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, he says every part rejoices with it. So what are we to celebrate? What are we to weep over? That's what I want to look at. And let me remind you, based on the, the previous passage of blessing our enemies, guess what? We cannot rejoice when our enemies have a demise or misfortune. Proverbs 24, 17 says this, and again, I don't like this uh, passage. Uh, but this is what it says, Proverbs 24, 17. Because this goes against everything that I want to do. Do not rejoice. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. It's pretty straightforward. Let, you, let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and God actually turn away his anger from him. Think of the natural response. If someone gets caught, who did you something wrong. He says, do not gloat over that person. Don't go, yeah, you got what's coming to you. Ha <laughs> ha, honk at them if they get pulled over by a cop. Yeah, that's what I thought. That was pretty stupid of you. Do not gloat over that person. Do not gloat, do not rejoice in the fact that they got what's coming to them. I think, are you serious? Are you, I'm not supposed to? Oh my goodness, that's so hard. That's my normal response. That's conformity to the world, though. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. I see this with my kids. Imagine one, one child is crying in a room. The other one has done them wrong, right? And the other one's sitting there going, oh, what happened? And the other one's just sheepishly going. And the other one's, oh, just pointing. No words, no explanation, just tears. Trying to figure out, it hit me. And you're like, all right, did you hit him? Yeah, but, all right, listen. Let's go. And as I take them, it's interesting, watch this. The kid comes with you, just do this, parents. Turn around and look at that other child. If they stop crying immediately and a smile comes on their face, guess what happens? I don't punish this one. I don't punish this one anymore. Are you kidding me? Oh, you're so happy that, they, that dad is bringing justice. You're rejoicing, guess what? Now my anger is turned away from this person. Now who is it focused on? You sniveling little rat. I'm just kidding, I don't say that. 
But I think of that, is that that should never be enjoyable to you. But like kids, we cry, we complain, and then when it happens, we go, yeah. Now we're rejoicing? One minute you were sorrowful? Now you're rejoicing. No, that's not the heart of God's people. We are to rejoice when sinners repent. I think of all of Luke 15. Luke 15 is about rejoicing. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. Who's not rejoicing at the end of the prodigal son? The older brother. The older brother. Because he doesn't believe that his brother deserves to be forgiven. He's not rejoicing as he should because he doesn't, he doesn't understand the heart of the father is that people would be reconciled to himself. And so when you and I don't rejoice when people are saved, we do not evidence the heart of God. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than one righteous person who doesn't. Listen, we need to understand that is the heart, that is the initiative of God. That's what we are on the same mission to see. And if people refuse to believe, we would weep over their unbelief. I think of you parents. You would never imagine rejoicing in your children being apart from Christ and dying in unbelief. You would never rejoice in that. Never. I think that's the same response that you and I should have towards every single person who is unsaved, that we would plead with God to bring them into his family. That we would never rejoice, as God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. He desires all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He doesn't want them to perish. He desires their salvation. Do I. I think of this last one, when we rejoice... Do we rejoice when each other receives honor and recognition? This is that idea of not being envious. Oh, this is so hard. When other people are honored, do you rejoice with those people who actually rejoice? I think of just the truth of kids at a birthday party. How often kids will see the toys and open the presents and they'll look at them and they'll go, Oh, wow, that's awesome. Oh, man, they're so excited for the kids, right? But how many times after they're alone with you, do they look and they go, man, I'm so glad that they got that present. I'm so thrilled for them. That's oh, so good. God's so good to them. I'm, so, I'm just so happy that God blessed them with that. I've never had that conversation with my kids. You know what they say? Dad, I was thinking, you know, I, 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 I think I want one of those. Can I have one of those? They look immediately at the present that other people are getting and they immediately want it themselves. Church, is that us? I think of how often we can see what God is doing in the life of other people. And we can say, Lord, why aren't you doing that to me? We can rejoice in them. Wow, I'm so happy for you. That's so good. God, why are you not doing that to me? That's so... Yeah. Huh. I think of that. I say, Charles, that's not rejoicing with those who rejoice. Am I, am I willing to honor God? Am I willing to rejoice in the fact that God is honored wherever he's honored? Am I willing to put down my own selfish ambition that I would be able to genuinely say I am thrilled that God is good in that way? Because the opposite is also true, isn't it? Weeping with those who weep. It's not always that you're rejoicing with people. Sometimes you're rejoicing in another person's weeping. And I think, God, I need to also move in sympathy towards other people. I need to seek to comfort and to be around those people. I think of husbands. Let's be honest, it's so uncomfortable to see your wife cry. So uncomfortable. Because what you're doing is you're trying to figure out if you had anything to do with it. Did I? Did I? Ah, I don't know. So most of the time I just stand there wondering whether or not I'll get in trouble. 
But I realize, Lord, I need to be lovingly attentive. I need to be caring and simply listen. It's not honorable for me to be unmoved emotionally. Come here, dear. Yes, I am your rock. Come to me. I will stand here. Yes. Weep with those who weep. I think of that. When was the last time you cried? Genuinely cried over the misfortunes of someone else. Weep with those who weep. That we would be moved so much over the hurts and pains of other people. That we would see that that is a demise to our brothers and sisters or to the world in general and weep over it. I think of Paul, the apostle, when he writes, he says, listen, I have great anguish of heart. He says, I, I would be cut off and cursed from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Weeping over people. Pleading with God on their behalf. I think, God, help me to care so much for people. And I think of this, all of us are called to comfort one another with the comfort that God provided. There's things that you're going through now that God will use. And maybe you've experienced the comfort of another person who's walked with you through difficulty, who's actually wept with you, who's been with you, who's, who's been in the shoes of your life for a while and lived and rubbed shoulders with you through difficulties and joys. That same response you and I are asked to do for someone else, that God would comfort you with a comfort so that you could go and comfort other people. Again, this is stuff that focuses off of ourself and onto the glory of God, that you and I would be there and help one another walk through these things together. And I think in this passage, again, we look at the extent of genuine love. The extent of genuine love, of a desire to bless those who are difficulty, or who give us difficulty and who hurt us intentionally. That we would bless those people, that we would rejoice with other people, be focused on the glory of God and the life of other people. That we would weep and want to see the comfort of God given to other people. And I think this evidences Jesus Christ. And let's be reminded, Jesus is the truest human of what humanity was meant to be. He exemplified it perfectly. And we can see each one of these things very evidently in Jesus' life. And that's exactly why you and I are being transformed into his image. We're trying to look like him more and more. The Spirit of God is wanting Jesus to be formed in us. And church, let's be reminded, the only way that that happens is beholding his glory, of seeing him of reminding ourselves of him, of thinking like him. And I think we need to stop justifying, even if they feel like they're right and just responses, that we need to stop justifying these things that look like the world, and we need to repent of them and turn and say, Jesus, God, please help me to evidence the fact that I am different from the world, that you have saved me, that I look at things differently, that your mercy does something in the life of your people. That it helps me to be merciful and patient and kind and loving to these people. To all the people that I am around. And so that is our prayer. And that's what hangs in the balance in this passage. And I want us to think of this. Is, is your witness to the world and the glory of God more important than getting justice or what you feel is right right now? Is the witness and glory of God that he is worthy of praise more important then perhaps justice and things that you deem right and necessary to happen right now. Are you willing to let those go in order for God to be glorified in you as you testify that he is good, as you witness to people 
Because that's what Paul is admonishing us to. That's what genuine love does. It points people to God and not to ourself. And so as we think of this, I have to, I have to think like this. Maybe perhaps our response is such because we do not know the love, patience, and mercy of God. Perhaps we don't know it. Perhaps we don't even like to think about it. Perhaps we are not saved. These are challenges to my heart. I had to come and wrestle with God. Why am I so quick to hate my enemies? That's not you. And it cut into my heart. Perhaps it's cutting into yours. Maybe some of you are passively like, yeah, that's just stupid. I would never respond like that. That seems ludicrous. Listen, God is very clear. I can't fudge these verses and make them mean something that they don't. They're very clear. My heart is to be a blessing to people, not a cursing to other people. And so that's the first thing. Maybe you don't know that blessing. Maybe you don't know the love and compassion of the Lord. Maybe perhaps you do and you just say, Lord, I just cannot do this to that person. You have no idea what they've done to me. Listen, I understand. Again, levels of persecution. I was reflecting on even other people in other parts of the world and their testimony that they willingly give their life for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they don't retaliate against people. They don't wish their demise, but they pray for those people who are actually killing them. Church, our hearts need to be moved by the mercy of God and that that spilling over would be of mercy and blessing to other people as well. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to show us this and to help us understand the grace that he has, but also the fact that we need him. We cannot do this on our own. Again, this is, this is something that only the Spirit of God does in his goodness and in his timing. Perhaps this is just a start. Maybe this is just a, a little change in a direction of your thought. And Lord willing, it will keep going in a direction that is to glorify God. But let me remind you, as you are convicted, we need to turn away from it. We need to abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. So let's pray and ask God to do this as the band comes and then we close our service together. Lord, I, I ask that you would give us an understanding into this truth, Lord, this difficult truth. Lord, to bless those who persecute us. Bless and do not curse. To rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Lord, I ask that you would do this work by your Spirit, that you would help us to see the people around us as in need of your great grace. And you have actually put us there to testify to your goodness and your grace and your mercy. So Lord, I pray that we would be overwhelmed with it. That you would remind us, Lord, again, as we sing and as we think and as we read your word and reflect on what you've done for us, people who do not deserve your mercy and your grace at all, Lord, I pray that we would never ask you to do something to people that you chose not to do for us, that we would understand the fact that you've loved us exceedingly more than our sins ever deserve, that where our sins abounded, your grace abounded all the more. Lord, if there's people here that do not know this grace, Lord, save them. I pray that right now seeds would be planted that would grow into fruit that would flourish your kingdom. Lord, that in our own hearts, Lord, maybe some of us are hardened by pain and frustration. Perhaps there's people that have hurt us deeply. Lord, it's so easy to be bitter. It's so easy to want vengeance. But Lord, that's the way of the world. That's the way of the natural man. And you put that man to death and you renewed us in Christ. 
you gave us your spirit that we're to put off the old man who's dead. We would put on Christ and be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Lord, we need you to do this. Lord, I pray that you would give great conviction to us. Lord, for we are stubborn. Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Lord, I pray that we would hate it and that we would love you and your mercy and rejoice in you now and forevermore, knowing that your kingdom will come and your will will be done. Lord, we ask this for your glory. Lord, save our kids. Lord, let them see the testimony of their parents and be saved. Lord, help us to show a good testimony, I pray in your name. Amen.
church, this is why we have titled this The Real Church, because we're distracted by many superficial things to give us confidence that we are God and he, God's and He has worked in us. Romans 12, though, exposes the truth of God's heart in conformity to the image of His Son. So when Jesus says, you must abide in me because without me you can do nothing, these are the things that we realize when we hear the character of God, we say, that is impossible. And God's like, yeah, I know. That's, that's why I came and made a way for it to be possible because without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you'll continue to curse. Without me, you'll continue to avenge yourselves. Without me, you'll continue to be conformed to this world. And so we lift our hands and we say, God, as this song says, our response to this message is not, okay, I'm going to go and do this. It's, God, I'm going to spend time humbly recognizing what you've done for me, and then I'm going to beg you to help me do that for others, because without you, I won't be able to do that. God is so good. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you, if anybody here is like, you know, I just need, I need some prayer. I need to pray with someone right now for whatever reason. You come forward. There's going to be a couple pastors, a couple of people up here. You come to us. Let us pray over you. Spend some time praying with you. If you need that today, we're going to be up here at the front for you. And the rest of the church, the rest of us, we say to you, have a wonderful day. Enjoy your family. Love Jesus. Be good and bless those. Do not curse. And know this, you are loved.